0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I used to care so much about portraying a perfect life and acting like everything was okay, when really things were far from it. I was secretly battling anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder. So it was a lot. I'm Victoria Garrick, former Division I athlete, mental health advocate, and host of Real Pod. Every Wednesday, I sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, and more to talk about the inner thoughts and feelings that we're all struggling with. So leave the filters and facetunes at the door and join me on RealPod. Vanessa, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're like, you're a sex expert, so you're a sex expert. A sex expert, yeah. <laughs>
1: I like that word. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to get to chat with you today. Um, but yeah, my name is Vanessa Warren, <laughs> and uh, I'm a sex therapist. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I specialize in sex and relationships.
0: Sex and relationships. Now, this is like when when I was going through kind of briefing what we would talk about today, you have some really interesting terminologies that you use that I've never heard before. Things like a sex personality. Now let's talk about that. What the heck is a sex personality?
1: Yeah, so I created this sex personality type model just this year, actually. Um, It was sort of inspired by years and years of working with people and trying to get a sense of, you know, what is it that leads to so much, you know, disconnection and arguing around sex. And there was this one particular couple that I worked with a while back where I remember happened to be a man and a woman, and the man happened to be the one who had the higher sex drive. And the woman would just agree to have sex with him, even when she wasn't necessarily in the mood. And so he was complaining about, you know, our sex life is not that great. I don't feel very connected. Sex is not very enjoyable. And she was saying, but I give you sex. You know, how could you be, you never get turned down. You get what you want. How could you be disappointed in this? And I really realized in that moment, like they're talking about such different things. Like she's talking about just the pure frequency aspect of it. And he's talking about wanting to experience something different with her, you know, not just wanting to have sex given to him. Um, And so that got me thinking like, yeah, you know, obviously we're all so unique and different. Of course, we're looking for different and unique things out of sex too. We define sex, like what is great sex in really different ways. So that's what I was trying to create in the sex personality types model is getting a sense of what is that like core most important thing that we are looking to experience during sex. So it's sort of like the love languages, but for your sex life.
0: I love that. And it's so funny that you said that because that seems, I feel like, To be honest, I think that women were really miseducated in how we think men are wired or how partners are. I shouldn't even say just men. Everybody is so individual. And we kind of have grown, even with like mismatched sex drives, like yes, in that case, the man had the stronger sex drive. That's what we were kind of grown up with and taught. But one of the things that I found really interesting at the beginning of this pandemic, at the beginning of quarantine, is i asked people in my audience what has been the one thing that's like surprised you in your relationship or been the biggest struggle and a lot of them had said like this decline in sex drive or the fact that why doesn't my husband want it we were kind of taught don't they don't they think about sex like every 6 seconds every 9 seconds like why don't they want me and it's so much more complicated than that can you kind of touch on why sex drive is so much more than just wanting a partner or not?
1: Oh my gosh, it's so much more than that. <laughs> yeah. I like to think of our sex drive as actually a gauge of our overall well-being. So a lot of us think of sex drive. We sort of think of it like another physical trait that we have. like, you know, oh, I'm five feet tall, I can't really grow any taller. that just is who I am. <laughs> it's like something that we can't change. It's just a part of us. But our sex drive is actually incredibly fluid and dynamic. And it really does get affected by so many different things going on in our lives. So I think what you're speaking to with the pandemic is stress. (laughs) Stress is by far and away the number one killer of sex drives. And for most of us, we can recognize like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. But we don't really acknowledge it when it's happening to us. I think there's so many people right now saying, why don't I want sex more often? And it's like, you're under an incredible amount of stress. We all are. We're going through something we've never gone through before. So, yeah, stress is a huge one, but it can be, you know, what's going on with us medically. It can be relationship issues going on between us and our partner. It can be our, you know, blockages or beliefs about sex that are kind of getting in the way. There's so many different things that can uh, that can get in the way. But you also kind of spoke to another really important thing that we have all of these stereotypes and myths about how sex drive works, too. And we do believe that men are supposed to want sex wherever, whenever, whatever, you know, as long they have the chance they'll take it. And it's definitely not the case. I mean, in heterosexual couples, there are just as many couples where the woman is the one with the higher sex drive as there is with the man as a higher sex drive. And so I think it's really important for us to start talking about sex drive in a more nuanced way. And yeah, again, recognizing that it's not just that single dynamic of, are you attracted to your partner or not? There's so much other stuff that gets linked in with
0: it. It ends up feeling, I think when those narratives happen, it immediately becomes, well, is my relationship broken? Are we, and everyone wants to know like how much sex is everybody having? Do you actually know the answer to like how much the average couple has sex? And because I, 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 I'm not saying this to derail anybody, but I find that we're so curious about it without really allowing our relationships to kind of be different and through different seasons as well. Yeah. It's such a, such a classic question that so many people worry about. And I think because sex
1: is this big, overwhelming, complex topic, there's this desire that we all have to like boil it down to something really simple and manageable. Like you know, numbers. How much sex is everyone having? Um, And if we can kind of like match up with that one number, then it can feel a little bit more relieving. So it's just like a way to simplify it for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, But it's interesting. They've tried to do a lot of research on, you know, how much sex do people have in general? but There's so many factors that get involved in it that I mean, I've seen things that say, you know, once a week up to, you know, two to three times a week, but you can find a number really to, to suit any anything. So there's not a definitive number, but I do think that, you know, how much sex other people is having, it genuinely is not important. What is important is what feels good in your relationship. Um, and you know, I've worked with couples who had sex a couple of times a year and that felt like a lot to them and they were happy with that. And I've had, I've worked with couples who've had sex multiple times a day and we're still saying it doesn't feel like enough. So it's just incredibly, incredibly varied, but yeah, we need to find what feels right for us in our relationship.
0: All right, my fellow Canadians, this one's for you. Because I know so many of you, like me, love their PC Optimum points. If you saw my Instagram stories this week, you saw that I actually used a bunch of my PC Optimum points to get a bunch of free stuff for the fall season, and I was so stoked about it. I always am, because it's really fun to get free stuff. But if you want to get more groceries and beauty products for free, well, now you may be able to. PC Financial has a new no monthly fee account that will make you think about money in a whole new way. It's called the PC Money Account, a bank account that makes everyday spending go further. The PC Money Account gets you PC Optimum points for doing everyday things like grocery shopping and online shopping, which we all know we're doing more than ever. More points means more rewards, so you can turn that everyday spending into a treat for yourself. The PC Money Account is a no monthly fee bank account, like I said. That makes every dollar of your purchases actually go towards PC Optimum Points. This week, I bought beauty products. I bought grocery products. I even brought a wreath for my front door. And it, uh, my entire bill was basically $13 because I was able to use my Optimum Points that I had earned. The PC Money account works like a bank account, but rewards users with 10 PC Optimum points for every dollar they spend anywhere they shop. But then you can earn 25 points in total per dollar spent at Shoppers Drug Mart. As a welcome bonus, you'll get up to 50,000 points if you take advantage of introductory offers when setting up your account and adding payroll, direct deposit, or paying bills online. For Canadians who crave more from their money, the PC Money account can also help you set savings goals, all while being rewarded on your spending with loyalty points you can actually use. You also enjoy free Interac e-transfers, services, and free withdrawals at PC Financial ATMs across Canada. You can simply sign up for a PC Money account today and start earning PC Optimum points and redeeming them on everyday essentials. Go to pcfinancial.ca forward slash papaya to open a PC Money account. That's pcfinancial.ca slash papaya. And you too can start thinking about money in a whole new way. Now let's get back to the show. When it comes to sex and relationships, when do you think is a good time to maybe have a, like maybe start diving into a conversation, maybe start seeking a little bit more advanced help? Because I feel like, because there's so much shame around saying like, hey, we're not actually having that much sex or the sex we're having isn't the quality that I wanted it to be, or I'm not having orgasms. These are things that like genuinely are fairly life-changing, but we're really, really hesitant to seek help, which is why I love your programs because they're actually done in the comfort of your home. At what point do you say that would do most people kind of start to engage in asking for that help or or starting to seek it?
1: Yeah, so I, I think that sex therapy is really similar to just normal psychotherapy in the sense that most of us don't seek out that help until things are really bad. Because there's still stigma and taboo around acknowledging that we're, you know, struggling in some aspect of our lives. But I'm a woman on a mission here (laughs) to really try to normalize working on your sex life proactively rather than waiting until you're on the brink of, you know, someone's talking about breaking up or divorce, whatever it is. You know, the reality is that working on your sex life can be so much fun. (laughs) And especially if you're doing it from the place of, yeah, you know, things are pretty good, but there's so much to explore. There's so much that we can learn and go even deeper and connect with each other even more rather than hey, it's been a year and we haven't had sex. And when my partner touches me, I recoil. Yeah, obviously that's going to be a lot harder and a lot less fun to get started on. So I really think having these conversations as soon in the relationship as you can, because that, that really gets the point across of, hey, let's just make sex something that we talk about regularly and openly. It's not a big deal. I'm not bringing it up right after we've tried to have, have sex and you know you're penis didn't get hard or I didn't have an orgasm or whatever it was, you know, it just becomes this normal topic. And I actually love podcasts as a great way to start having that conversation because you can listen to it together. That way it doesn't even feel like you're sitting your partner down and like, okay, let's have this big, serious conversation about sex. You can just say, oh, I listened to this really interesting podcast today. Do you want to listen to it with me or even just kind of sneakily putting it on in the background. And I'm sure once your partner starts hearing words like penis and sex and orgasm, their ears might perk up a little bit. So yeah, it's a great way to to get the conversation going.
0: I actually love that advice because I think I was the infamous Gluck Gluck 3000. Is that what it's called? The 9,000, 3,000? You know, the call. have you ever listened to the Call Her Daddy episode where they talk about blowjobs? (laughs) And it was like so infamous that I was like, I have to listen to this, but it was my husband and I were driving in a car. And so we listened to it together. But what I found so interesting about it was not so much the context of the podcast itself. It's the conversation that it brought out in us. Like, do you like that? Do you think that's good? Or what about this? And he would like banter and disagree or agree and all this stuff. And I was like, this is actually so interesting. I'm learning so much. And this is somebody I've been in a relationship with for four years now. And one thing that I find is a really, I've heard it from other people. I've experienced it as well. Very early in relationships, (laughs) I find a lot of times the sex is like fiery. And then as time goes on in the relationship and almost as we get to know each other more, get more comfortable with each other, somehow anxiety actually seems to rise. Like, I don't know if that's like a really normal thing. That's something I've experienced as our bodies change. It obviously happens for a lot of people as well, but it goes from the shift of like wild, like no inhibitions, whatever, whatever. And all of a sudden these things can start to creep up in your mind and they can creep up into your relationship and really derail you. I remember like, like, and it's so funny amongst women, how we'll talk about it. Like they'll, we'll say things in the beginning of relationships, like how much we love getting on top. And then you talk about it like three years later, it's like, oh hell no, I don't want to do that. And it's so funny how like we shift from being, we want to be this person's like sex goddess to, I actually don't like that and I don't want to do it. How do we create this balance starting from those fiery spots to kind of bring that in into relationships in a way that's honest about what we really like too, without kind of shutting doors on stuff. Because I think being open to exploring things is great, but also being open to boundaries is great too. Do you have any guidance there for like, as we kind of develop into these deeper, more meaningful, I shouldn't say more meaningful, even sex relationships are meaningful, but like these deeper connections, these long-term relationships, the sex can actually get more difficult, which is so funny because I think for some, it might be the reverse as well. Yeah, this is such a good question. And for me, what it really boils down to
1: is the idea of effort. So when we're at the beginning of a relationship, you know, we're really putting so much effort into being our best selves, you know, inside and outside of the bedroom. And when it comes to sex in particular, you know, we spend a lot of time and energy like getting ourselves worked up and excited. Like if you think back to maybe some of your first dates with your husband, you know, all the stuff that you did. I was
0: a star. (laughs) Yeah. I was a Star. <laughs> do you want to do you wanna know a secret before we go on? Yes, please. On the inside of on the inside of my engagement ring, there is an engravement in it. And Shane's like, go and look it up about what it is. So I go into like the Google Maps and it's like you have to put in the code of like the location spot. And it's like the one place we had like sex outdoors once, like against a rock (laughs) when we were dating. And it was like, we were dating and it was, I don't know, it was a whole thing, but it was so funny because like we get engaged and there's my dad like, oh, like what's the engravement? And I was like, oh, it's the spot of one of our dates. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But it's true. We've never done, we've never done anything wild like that again. Like in the beginning, it's all about. What can we do? Like, we want to be exciting. We want to kind of be impressive. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's such a great story. I love that.
0: (laughs) But I think, yeah, you
1: know, as time goes on and we start to get more comfortable, um, we start getting more uncomfortable with this idea of putting effort in, and it sort of feels like, oh, well, you know, they're my partner and they're supposed to love me how I am. We get like this really, we get comfortable in the relationship, but uncomfortable with this idea of continuing to work on it. And so a lot of people just don't want to put in that same amount of work that they did in the beginning of their relationship. So a lot of people will tell me, you know, sex feels so hard in a long-term relationship. It takes so much time, so much work, so much effort. I really have to like get myself going going for it. And so I try to remind them, it's not that all of a sudden sex has become so complicated and difficult. It's that your attitude about the effort that great sex requires has changed. So at the beginning of your relationship, you were super excited to, let me spend an hour putting on different outfits and shopping for lingerie and like dancing around to my favorite music, getting ready for my date. You know, you were doing a ton of effort, probably way, way more than most of us want to do on an ongoing basis. But you were having so much fun with that effort. So it's that idea of, you know, again, it doesn't have to be the exact same routines. You don't have to spend hours getting ready for a date. But can you, can you reframe that idea of putting effort into your relationship and spending some time getting yourself excited to be together, wanting to try something new, push your boundaries a little bit, get, allow yourself to be a little bit uncomfortable, allow yourself to not be perfect in the bedroom. You know, I think that's a big thing that comes up too. But yeah, it's just really changing our attitude about the effort that's required.
0: All right, let's chat quick about one of today's sponsors, Liquid IV. I am a huge fan of Liquid IV. I swear to goodness, I could not have gotten through the last six months if it wasn't for having it every single day, right before bed. It's helping me stay hydrated and stay on top of my game the best that I can because it's really hard to stay hydrated, especially when you're just not feeling like drinking water all day long. The reason I love Liquid IV is because just one stick of Liquid IV into 16 ounces of water, you get two to three times the amount of hydration as just plain water. So flu season is on its way and it often lines up with our holiday plans, but Liquid IV can help support your immune system with increased hydration and essential vitamins. It's perfect for staying hydrated on holiday flights if you're taking any or long road trips. It can help with hangovers after those extra holiday drinks as well. I know we always pack them traditionally anytime we were going out, just getting ready for the next morning. They just make such a difference. Liquid IV's best-selling hydration multiplier now has three new flavors, guava, watermelon, and wait for it, apple pie. But I love Liquid IV just because it's so easy. I always know when I'm feeling a little off or less I don't know, energized or just feeling down or maybe having a start of a headache. The best thing that I reach for and the easiest thing I've reached for is just increased hydration. It's it's often a cause for so many things and it helps me kind of like get right back up when I need to. I'm a huge fan of the lemon lime, but I got to be honest, all the flavors are so good, especially when you just want to change it up or try something new. It's incredible. But like I said, one serving of Liquid IV provides the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles of water alone. They have those three delicious new flavors, sweet and juicy guava, crisp watermelon, and comforting apple pie. It also contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange and as much potassium as a banana. It's healthier than sugary sports drinks with no artificial flavors or preservatives and less sugar than an apple. It's made with clean ingredients, non-GMO, vegan, and free of gluten, dairy, and soy. But what makes it so effective? Well, the cellular transport technology, also known as CTT. The optimal ratio of glucose, sodium, and potassium delivers water and nutrients into the bloodstream. It's the perfect balance to help you hydrate more quickly and more effectively than water alone. But Liquid IV is not just here to help you with your hydration. It's also out to change the world. Liquid IV as a company has donated over 5 million servings globally. In response to COVID-19, products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Over 3 million servings in total so far. Liquid IV is available nationwide in the U.S. at Walmart at the beverage section, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PAPAYA at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use the code PAPAYA at liquidiv.com. You can get better hydration today. liquidiv.com promo code PAPAYA. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, and I think for me as a woman, especially for one who's like gone through like major body dysmorphia and issues around like how I feel I look, it actually gets into my head and starts preventing orgasm. Like I will all of a sudden be like, what is he seeing? What is he touching? What is he experiencing? Is my vagina tight enough? Is it this, is it that? Suddenly it's like, it's all there and it's at the surface. And I swear to goodness, like when we've had conversations about mindfulness and sex before, this seems to be the big hiccup. This is the thing that like, there's this moment for women, it happens so often where we're suddenly like, it's in our head. And it's really hard to relax and come down from that and enjoy the experience of what it is to be touched, what it is to experience pleasure, and allowing ourselves pleasure. Because again, we've been taught that sex is a man's thing. It's a man's world. It's it, I, I've never, like, I actually have a couple of times, but it's not a common conversation where people— habit where like, oh, he didn't finish. But with women, that's like most of the time women don't finish or like they don't have that orgasm. So this is why I really, now I want to go deep in on the female orgasm, specifically the female orgasm, because I think it's being forgotten. I think it's being less advocated for. And I think that we're embarrassed to ask for pleasure. And a lot of times even embarrassed to experience it. But not only that, there is a large amount of women who never have experienced orgasm. Do you know how many women have never experienced an orgasm?
1: Yeah. So we have, I'm so glad that you want to talk about this topic because this is my favorite topic to talk about. So I could talk to you for like four hours today, just going nonstop. Um, But yeah, we we don't have a ton of research in anything female sexuality related, which is incredibly frustrating. But we have some numbers that say that around 10% of women have never orgasmed. Personally, I think that number is way, way higher. I would guess even more in the like 20 to even 30% because I think it's it's a topic that there's so much shame around that a lot of women don't feel comfortable being honest about what their current status is, even with their absolute best friends.
0: Is there... A possibility that some women are incapable of orgasm.
1: That is another really good question, and that's something that every woman who struggles with her orgasm is worried about. Um, I, yes. if I had a penny for every time I've heard, you know, I feel like I must be, you know, broken. I'm not capable of this. Um, I'd be a very, very rich lady, even with pennies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we the there is no scientific evidence that says that certain women are incapable of having orgasms. So I, I need to say that again, because I'm sure there are a lot of women out there who are like, no, 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 but I, I think I must be the one. I must be the, the exception. But there truly is no scientific evidence that certain women are completely incapable of having orgasms. Um, so even women who have become paralyzed from the waist down, there have been research studies found, finding that they were able to find other ways to experience orgasm.
0: All right, let's take a quick pause from today's juicy conversation to talk about one of today's sponsors, which if you followed me for any length of time on Instagram, you've probably seen me snacking on their foods quite often. They're an absolute favorite and staple of ours in our home, Holy Veggie. If you're looking for an easy and tasty way to add veggies into your diet, then look no further than Holy Veggie. Holy Veggie was actually founded by two friends on a mission of helping inspire a better way to feed the planet. The company's complete line of plant-based foods from cauliflower wings to their new veggie full meals are about three simple things, quality, taste, and celebrating the vegetable. Holy Veggies line of products are about being veggie forward and seeing the veggies in every bite. The full product line is also non-GMO and completely soy and dairy free. So if you have allergies like I do, it is amazing because you know these snacks and foods are perfect for your diet. And they make the most incredible broccoli and cauliflower wings. If you've ever been to a restaurant and tried broccoli or cauliflower wings and then tried to make them at home, it's rarely the same experience. But with Holy Veggie, they have you covered. You can make restaurant quality, crunchy cauliflower, crispy broccoli. They are restaurant quality. I can attest to that. Holy Veggies, Cauliflower, and Broccoli Wings can be found at major grocery stores across Canada, such as Metro, Sobeys, and Save on Foods, as well as across the United States at Target and your local co-op. Trust me, let me just like, my absolute favorite, Buffalo Cauliflower. You will lose your mind. They are so good. They're Holy Veggies, Buffalo Cauliflower Wings. Trust me on that one, you're gonna love it. High in plant-based protein and over 50% of your daily fiber it's a complete meal to keep you nourished the entire day. Holy Veggie is reinventing the frozen meal by swapping out the common meat and potatoes with great tasting and good-for-you ingredients. To find Holy Veggie's newest line of meals, head on over to holyveggie.com. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y-V-E-G-G-I-E.com. Now let's head back to the show. Now we're, now we're in the next part of it where it's like, if I'm capable, then why isn't it happening? I've had a couple of friends where I've even been like, well, have you tried this? And have you, I, like, it's just such a shocking moment. And it, but filled with sadness. Cause I'm like, why are you having sex? Like, what is it is, and I know that the purpose of sex can be so much more complex, but why are you choosing sex? Like, what is your driver? Because usually our driver is to create intimacy and pleasure I don't know that I would sign up for having sex just to be intimate with my husband if it wasn't going to do something for me in a physical, mental, emotional way. And knowing that there's so many broad ways of having sex, whether it's self-sex, whether it's sex with somebody else, whether it's multiple partners, whatever. So how do we, like, what are, I know this is, you have maybe some tips for how can we get a woman closer to orgasm? What are some steps that a woman can start to take to just even... Get herself to the place of hope for that.
1: Yeah, so I think what we really need to recognize is that as women, we are socialized to believe that sex is really not about us. You know, in in so many different ways, we're socialized in general to be caretakers and caregivers, and to be really uncomfortable with just even the general topic of receiving. Um, women who have sex with men were socialized to believe, like you already mentioned, that you know sex is supposed to be all about the man and that our bodies are supposed to work the same way men's bodies work. And in particular, that really comes down to feeling like intercourse is the thing that should make us orgasm. So without any sort of stimulation of our bodies, um, just with the guy pounding away, doing his thing, that that's supposed to be this ultimate experience of pleasure for us. Um, We're also not taught the reality about how our bodies work. We are taught to be deeply ashamed of our bodies, to think that our genitals, they look weird, they're smelly, they taste bad, you know, to be deeply uncomfortable with it. So there's just so much that gets in our way and that really prevents us from being able to not only just have an orgasm, but experience pleasure during sex. So I think that's kind of step one is, is really recognizing if you're struggling with your orgasm, it is not your fault. It is the way that you have been socialized to believe that sex works, that your body works, what you're worthy of. And I, get, I just get like so passionate and so worked up about this because I've seen yeah. so many women who you know, really put all the blame on their shoulders and feel so terrible, feel like something's horribly wrong with them. And so it's just really important to me to be able to share that message of it's not our fault. We really have been set up to fail.
0: That's actually a really good point, but it makes me curious. Do same-sex couples tend to have better sex lives because they are more familiar with their own bodies, or is it still just as diverse as heterosexual couples?
1: So women who sleep with women tend to have report being much more satisfied sexually. They have way more orgasms. Ooh. They're happier with their sex lives. Um, yeah, so of course, you know, there are definitely lesbian couples who have their own struggles. There are plenty of lesbian women who struggle with orgasm too. Overall, lesbian women tend to be a lot happier than women who sleep with men.
0: That is so fun. I saw um, a thing recently and it said like, if sexuality was a choice, women would never be with men. And I was like, <laughs> honestly, it's a little bit valid. When you even hear that, I was like, well, it makes a lot of sense. We know each other. We know our bodies a little bit better, even if it's getting to know our bodies. But let's talk about an orgasm. How do we—one I, I, thing I loved on your site is you had this thing that said, never ask, are you close again? And I was like, honestly, a little light bulb went off for me. I was like, how have we, as a society, all experienced this, but nobody talks about it? Like, we all do it. In, in, In sex, we're like, are you close? Are you close? Like, are you done? Like, I'm ready. Or like, I'm already done. Like, where are you? It's like this very, very common question, but I've never heard it said out loud before. So that it must be like, if we're all saying it, we know it must be true, how do we start getting better at like reading body language? How do we start like let's like take the floor and talk to us about bettering our sex lives and bettering having orgasms? Yeah, it's that dreaded moment. Everybody knows,
1: you know, how much pressure it puts on. You.
0: It makes Press- me stop. I like shut down. You ask me that question, it's gonna be another 20 minutes. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> it's done for me because now pressure is on. Like I I cannot. This is why I love. To be honest, this is why I love sex toys in the bedroom because it often matches our speed. Like I like that it actually puts us to a point of finishing at the same time which makes, it takes a lot of pressure off of things, but this is again in like speed situations. If we're, if we're really taking our time, then obviously it's going to be at completely different times or beginning. And like, I find as a woman, it's actually quite nice that we can have an orgasm at any point and still find sex pleasurable men. It's like, well, once they're done, it's like, okay, well uh, now you have to like, they're just not, they're just not there for anymore. Like they're, (laughs) they're, they're they're done. They're out. They're (laughs) tired. They need to take a nap. Like it's just a different experience and I've learned that. But as women, you can have an orgasm at the beginning. You can have an orgasm in the middle, at the end. Like it doesn't really matter. The sex can remain enjoyable throughout that, which I think is like such a pat on the back for us, such a special thing that we kind of get to carry regardless of how difficult female orgasm is, but how do we get to the point of like not asking that question anymore? Are you close?
1: So definitely the absolute first step is to start exploring your pleasure and your orgasm on your own. So, so many women, when they come and, you know, want to work with me around orgasm coaching, it's immediately wanting to speed ahead to how do I have an orgasm with a partner? And I totally get that. Um, Of course we want to learn how to do that, but I really firmly believe that we need to explore our own bodies, our own capacity for pleasure first. And a lot of that is because we need to overcome all of this programming and socialization that's really gotten in our way. And so that's what why I love so much of what you do um, and have so much respect for it when it comes to body image and body issues in general, is that you really help women explore all these, you know, bullshit. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> Sorry.
0: Yeah, you can swear. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um all this bullshit socialization that we've received around our bodies. So this is, you know, this kind of work if somebody's been following you for a while, it can be a really nice transition into okay, maybe you've looked at some of the ways that, you know, diet culture, it has impacted you. And now we can kind of move into how that's uh, affected your relationship with your sexuality what you what you've been taught to believe about your own body so i really believe that this can be one of the most empowering exciting experiences for women is taking control back over our own bodies and exploring them and learning what brings us pleasure it's it's just such an amazing process so yeah, really starting with masturbation on your own of exploring what is it that your body responds to and feels good and, um, is gonna, yeah, start to get you on that path to orgasm.
0: Which I think is so important because I, I I know that a lot of women haven't grown up ever doing that or exploring it or really knowing what's for them. And so it can get, how, how are you, how are you going to find out? You can't go to like, for a lot of people, experience of sex or having multiple partners is how they been learning their body along the way, how they've been learning that. But like, we can actually skip ahead and just like, you can do that yourself. And it's actually so interesting. I find like, while toys are incredible at, again, speeding up that process, just even self-touch in a way that's like, I'm not going to feel shame about this. This is okay. Like there's a lot of like unlearning that you have to do even to get yourself to the point of, this is okay to do. And it's really interesting being in a relationship now where we openly talk about it. Like now we're just like in this phase of, it's okay to say that you masturbate even within a relationship. And that seems to be a big hang up. Do you still find that like, it's important to have that self-touch? Like I I still do it. I think it's important in my relationship. Um, I encourage it on both sides because it doesn't really impact our sex life. But how would you like, do you think that it continues to be an important thing During relationships as well, and not just on your own or in your single seasons, like to actually continue that self touch. Absolutely, yeah. I'm the biggest fan of masturbation ever.
1: (laughs) I think it's such a healthy part of our of our sex lives at any point in our life. It's really interesting too. So, okay, we talk about female orgasm as being so much more like complicated and difficult than male orgasm. The reality is, it's not. It really does just boil down to masturbation. So, if you think about it, you know, every man. Has grown up spending decades of his life masturbating. So we never talk about, you know, masturbating when you're younger, but there's this sort of like, yeah, you know, boys will be boys, they're gonna do their thing. So they spend decades exploring their bodies, figuring out what works for them, and learning how to orgasm. Whereas women, you know, we're really given a much stronger message from a very young age that masturbation is completely unacceptable. It's a sin, it's disgusting, it's gross. So we don't get that decade's worth of experience of exploring our own bodies. We really get cheated out of having this relationship with our body that feels like, you know, there's a lot of curiosity and joyfulness and exploration. And so, That's why there's such a big orgasm gap now. Not that female orgasm is so much harder to come by. It's that we haven't had that experience. So that's what we really need to catch up on. And we really need to change attitudes about masturbation as well to give women more of that permission. I mean, what more basic right can we have than the right to explore our own body and experience pleasure in our own body?
0: Yeah, it's such a weird thing to have shame about when you unpack it. Like, why am I ashamed to have pleasure. And why why am I feeling nervous to talk to my partner about that? Where is that coming from? Where is that deep-seated shame? And that's why I've tried to get better and better about like kind of peeling back that onion and I think especially as you get into these relationships in long-term ones, you don't want to add that effort and that pressure to your partner to suddenly be like I would actually really love to try this or this is something like could you do this? Could like I would say 50% of the time I actually advocate for what I want during sex. And the other 50%, I'm just like, that's fine. Like, it's like whatever. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to actually bring shame in. But the more I think about it and unpack it, I'm like, the goal here is for us both to have a pleasurable experience. He doesn't know. He's not like even reading body cues, like, sorry, he's not gonna know the exact moment that I want something touched or something whatevered. He doesn't how is he going to know that? He's not my mind reader. So it's actually like it's it's one of those things that I think we think is adding on to them but really it's like they have to stop guessing and they're like that's what you want, good to go. And like I, I, the more I've had these open conversations I'm like, yeah, why are we getting so hung up on talking to our partners? and advocating for our own pleasure. Do you have any advice for how we can start? Like, I know we talked about like listening to podcasts and stuff together, but how do we even like in the bedroom, in the moment, how do we, is there any like tips to actually just taking that step or just owning that moment? So I think a really big distinction that we can play around with is the
1: difference between giving our partner instructions and giving them feedback. So a lot of people, women in particular, we tend to get this sort of perfectionistic mindset when it comes to communicating in the bedroom. So if a partner asks us, you know, what do you want or what do you like? It's like we put this pressure on ourselves to deliver this (laughs) step-by-step instructions. super detailed of like, you know, I need you to make out with me with a medium amount of tongue for like two minutes and 30 seconds and then lightly pin my hair and kiss down my neck. Like,
0: you know, it just feels... It's like the instruction book that Monica gives Chandler, remember? And she was like... Seven, seven, seven. And it's like, I remember being a I remember being an adolescent and watching that episode. And I was like, wait, what are all these numbers? And where are they? Now I can listen back and probably figure them out. But it's yeah, it's not an instruction manual that we're handing over. I
1: watched that episode with my entire family, like at grandma's house for family dinner. And I remember being very confused with the adults all laughing about it. I'm like, what does it mean? I was like, one of my first sexual related memories. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we can't put that pressure on ourselves to create this, you know, this set of instructions. Instead, what we need to think about it is as feedback. So feedback is just reporting back on if whether or not something feels good. And so there's a much more exploratory element to that. So you telling your partner, you know, oh, it feels good when you touch my butt like that, that doesn't mean, you know, okay, he needs to do that every single time going forward, or that's the perfect way to touch your butt, or your butt is the pathway to having an orgasm. It's just a little piece of feedback that feels good. A little piece of feedback could be, could you try that a little bit harder? Could you go a little softer, a little faster, a little slower? Um, And so feedback doesn't imply that you're even working towards any sort of end state either. There's not a goal with feedback. It's just sort of like fine tuning. I kind of call this the Goldilocks method sometimes. It's like, maybe that's a little too hard. That's a little too soft. What's just right. We're trying to find that middle ground. But if we think about it in those sorts of terms, that can take so much pressure off that it's not about having this perfect A to B exact roadmap. That's the absolute fastest, most efficient way to orgasm. It's about giving ourselves permission to take it a little bit slower to explore things and just to give feedback about what's coming up in the moment. It's just a totally different way of looking at the point of that kind of communication.
0: Yeah. I think that's so special. And, and the one, one of the last things I kind of wanted to ask about in relationships, oftentimes there are these massive ebbs and flows, but how can we give hope back? I I'm, I'm saying this as I've been recently like sex is on the back burner because I had bleeding yeah. with my pregnancy and we had to explore, all the other things of sex, like what sex is in a broader sense. But I know that we're also coming up on a very tired season, a very body change season. We're honeymooners and now we're about to have a baby and everything is going to change. And we know this is going to impact our sex. How would you say, like, I know that there's couples can come back from literally no sex to having like really great sex again but what can we do to kind of like, is it all in just communication? Is it just giving ourselves grace through those seasons? And can we all go from quote unquote bad sex lives and hop into that good zone? Is it possible for everyone?
1: Yeah, it really is. I think we just need to shift our mindset around sex that, you know, we're taught to believe that sex is just supposed to happen. It's just supposed to be spontaneous and magically great and wonderful. Um, And the reality is that it takes a lot of active and ongoing effort. And again, it's kind of coming back to that idea of changing our mindset about the effort and seeing if there are ways that we can get excited about it again. But yeah, absolutely. All couples go through ebbs and flows. My husband and I have been on this roller coaster for the last couple of months as well. You know, nobody has a perfect sex life. And so I think the solution to it is is a lot of what you already said. It's, you know, being in open communication all the time about it. So like, I'll give you an example with my husband and I, there have been some times where, you know, one of us has wanted to have sex and the other hasn't. And just being able to talk about it rather than like, you know, it turns into this really uncomfortable moment and then we go our separate ways. It's just being able to acknowledge that really sucks. I know it's tough. We're going through a lot right now. Just talking about it can be such a, Huge relief, um, and then I think, yeah, absolutely, giving ourselves grace. Like there is no such thing as a perfect sex life. We don't need to push ourselves or force ourselves to, you know, to doing things when it doesn't feel right. So just being really patient and and uh, generous with ourselves, and then also just trying to expand our definition of what sex is. So I I think I mentioned this a few minutes ago that especially with heterosexual couples, so many of us tend to overemphasize intercourse. Like intercourse is sex. There, you know, all the other stuff is, I mean, we even call it foreplay, like the things that we do before we move on to the real thing. Uh, And the reality is that there are so many ways to connect in the bedroom and intercourse is one of them. Yeah. And so it kind of, a lot of people hear that and they're like, yeah, yeah I know, but, <laughs> but it really is like, there's so much for us to explore together. There are so many different ways to connect. And a lot of times, you know, those types of things are going to feel way more doable or way more exciting to you if you're going through a really stressful or challenging season. So, you know, even If we can say sex could be, we just get into our bed naked and we hold each other and cuddle and we get some of that skin to skin contact and we get, you know, we start feeling good or sex can be one partner giving to the other partner, but not receiving anything for themselves because they're not really feeling like anything. So if we really allow ourselves to expand that definition, to explore other things, we're going to have a more active sex life. It's going to be a lot more enjoyable. And I think oftentimes too, when we just, open the door a little bit, <laughs> then we find that we actually even want more connection.
0: I think a lot of times the reason that we we like sex is because it feels so mutual and so timed where everything else is kind of like, okay, it's your turn. That's my turn. Or I have to do this. And I'm like a hardcore believer that like, I hate 69 positions. So like never going to happen. Like a not, <laughs> me too. not a fan. I'm not a fan. I'm not oh, a fan. I hate I'm not it. a fan. <laughs> <laughs> so put it out there. I don't like it. The view is never great for anyone. I'm not here for it. And I don't like it. And I feel like this is the first relationship that I was in where I was like, I'm, I'm never going to do it. Like, no, absolutely not. Like it's off the table for me. I don't like it. Like, I don't know why it's so glamorized, but regardless, like there is, I think there's the convenience factor. Like there is such thing as like, that's why the quickie exists for so many reasons, but things like mutual masturbation. And uh, once I started exploring, like what are other things you can mutually do at the same time? That's not intercourse required. It actually can still, you can still have a quickie. You can still have a quickie. It can still be, you know, bring some toys in, have some fun. Even if it's just like, yeah, cuddling naked, whatever that is. That's the one thing that I feel we really have gotten hung up on these little things. Like one of the things that we really got hung up on, we had this like a bit of a dry spell. And we, when we had this conversation about it, cause I like talk about everything. The big thing was we both wanted to be pursued. We both wanted to be asked. So it's not that we didn't want sex. It's that both of us didn't want to be the one to ask for it. We wanted to be pursued. And it just got me thinking, I'm like, yeah, that's true. Because for a woman, like I, have expected that men just chase sex. So I've expected that to be asked of me. And on his side, he's like, I want to know that she wants it. I want to know that it's something that she actually wants to do and not just doing it because I asked. And until we had that conversation, I was like, so we actually have the same goal and the same desire and the same needs, but we're not doing it because we both don't want to be the one to ask. And it's so, well, once we unpack that and, and then as things as simple as, you know what, he loves it in the morning. I love it at night. And so we had to start like Okay. Sometimes it's the morning, sometimes it's night. And, you know, sometimes it's the middle of the day, whatever, but really just having those conversations. And I think for me, it's like, I still feel that shame. It's still there during sex. I still have those moments where I don't know how to ask. And I literally have to tell myself like, you're allowed, like you are worthy of it. You're allowed to ask for this. You it's okay. Or in a safe relationship. You can ask for these things. It's okay to, you know, say that you want to have sex. And it's been such a, like being pregnant, my sex drive has been so strong that I haven't been able to not ask, ask for sex. So it's like a totally different game for me. It's almost like I actually started having orgasms in my sleep. If I didn't oh, yeah. have sex. Yeah. I was just having them in my sleep. So I was like, he'd wake up and I'm like, we got to go right now. Like, I was like, I don't want to be doing this on my own. Like I wanted the partnered experience of it because I enjoy that. But there is like so many little hiccups. And I feel like for women, the more we have conversations with you, I love that you actually have a program called Finishing School, Learn How to Orgasm. Like that is, and then also orgasm with a partner. It's it's often the subtleties and we, we make it these massive things And it really can come down to these simplicities and these subtleties without needing. And I find that a lot of times we want want to take the inhibitions away and things like alcohol desensitizes us. So we want to feel free in the bedroom. So we drink to feel free in the bedroom, but we drink and then we're desensitized. So then we no longer feel the sex anyhow. Do you have any suggestions for naturally getting over our inhibitions in the bedroom? Oh, yeah, you just mentioned so many things. <laughs> just,
1: I'm sorry. I went on a tangent. I'm talk about all of them because there are so many. <laughs> tang- okay. I have to, I can't skip over the initiation thing. Cause that's so important. That's such a big thing that comes up when it comes to um, couples in long-term relationships, their sex life starting to decline. It's that we really start neglecting initiation. Um, we start doing it in these kind of roundabout ways and we. We try to like give our partner the look but they're like is something in your eye like what's going on <laughs> or uh the one that I always hear about is like in a heterosexual couple like the guy will come up and just come up behind you and like squeeze your boobs and for some reason men seem to think this is like the best initiation technique ever and women hate it
0: <laughs> but you know I always like, fall into traps I give them like a nice I'll start like touching him and he'll be like ooh can I have a back rub and I'm like that's not what I wanted <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> So
1: I think, you know, exactly what was coming up with you and Shane is like, you both wanted to be wanted and we all want that. Like we want to feel wanted and desired by our partner. And so having, you know, initiation in these weird roundabout, awkward, strange ways, like it doesn't give anyone that feeling of like really being desired and cherished and loved. And so it's, it's interesting to notice how much, more vulnerable initiating starts to feel the longer we're in a relationship with someone who like at the beginning of the relationship I was just pouncing on you the second you got in the door and now I'm like you know trembling like oh my god I want to ask him to have sex but I don't know can I say it out loud I don't know you know we get so nervous about it that it's really important for us to to challenge ourselves and to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and try to initiate with our partner in a way that's actually going to tempt them to say yes so that's another really interesting question to think about. Like, think about the ways that I initiate with my partner. If someone were to initiate with me, would I actually want to say yes? Would that actually feel like an invitation? So we need to kind of challenge ourselves to step it up and, and to switch off too, so that you're both taking that position of, of being vulnerable and, and allowing your partner to feel that desire. But going back to your original question, um, which is about, you know, kind of um how to how to balance the pressures that might come up in the moment, I think. You know, I've read some really great posts that you've written about just like allowing ourselves to feel our emotions. And it sounds like such a simple, straightforward thing, but it's incredibly difficult to do in reality. And I think the same sort of thing is true when it comes to sex too, is that, you know, we don't need to be, you know, overnight turn into these wild sex kittens who have no inhibitions and say whatever they want. Um, I mean, I'm super transparent, like this is my job. I teach other people how to have great sex for a living and I get nervous and embarrassed and have a hard time saying what I want. So it's not setting this goal of like perfection for ourselves. It's allowing ourselves in that moment to just feel whatever it is that's coming up for us because there's so much baggage that we all have to work through and just acknowledging and honoring what it is that's coming up for us is such an an important and powerful step. So, you know, take instead of if you feel something creeping into your thoughts, instead of beating yourself up, like, oh, why am I feeling so self-conscious? And then you're, you send yourself down this shame spiral in the moment. Can you take a second to just acknowledge, okay, there's a little bit of embarrassment coming up for me here. All right, that's there. Can I sit with it for a second? Can I come back to it a little bit later and examine it and unpack it a little bit? So it's just allowing it to be there, allowing it to exist. And at the same time, Can you find a different part of yourself that can sort of challenge yourself to say like the messages that you were just saying a second ago, like, I deserve to ask for pleasure. I am worthy. You know, I deserve this. So it's like letting both of those things be true in the same moment. Yes, I'm anxious. Yes, I'm embarrassed. Yes, I'm feeling shame. And I want to remind myself, I deserve this. I am worthy. It's okay. Final question.
0: Where and is it valuable... To have scheduled sex,
1: I love scheduled sex, and especially in this season with so much going on, so much stress and uncertainty, um, I think scheduled sex gets a really bad rep because a lot of yeah, yeah a lot of people think like, oh, if you have to schedule sex, that is a sign that your sex life is just terrible. Things are really bad. We look at it as like, oh, if you have to schedule sex, the way that you schedule like going to the dentist It's <laughs> this is a really terrible thing. But for me, it comes back to that same topic that we keep looping around to is this idea of effort. That, you know, when you schedule sex, you're making an effort to keep your sex life, you know, active and pleasurable and satisfying. And you're carving out time in your life to connect with your partner. Now, the reality is, you know, we're all busy these days. We all have a million things that we can be doing. And when something is important to us, we make the time for it. We carve it out in our schedule. We put it on our calendar. So, you know, if there's, for example, like something that you're, well, this is not a good example anymore with COVID, but like, you know, pre-COVID, let's say your kid had a soccer game. You know, if it's important to you to be there, you're scheduling it in your calendar. You're not going to say like, oh, well, maybe if I feel like it in the moment, if I happen to have the time and the space, I'll go to the game. Like you're going to go to the game. You're going to put it in the calendar. And like us scheduling it, we feel good about that. We're like, yeah, you know what? I'm putting, I'm setting aside that meeting. I'm making sure I'm going to be at this game. This is the most important thing to me that day. Like we get a lot of meaning out of making that effort and creating that schedule. I, I say it can be the exact same thing with sex that we can say, my sex life is important to me. My partner's important to me. And I want to make sure we carve out the time that we're not just, waiting around for magically that we're going to have the time for sex, the space for sex, the privacy for sex. We're magically both going to be wildly horny in the exact same moment. (laughs) Like we're making that effort to create that time and space for each other. And so you can, you know, there are lots of ways to do scheduled sex wrong where it does feel like there's a lot of pressure and expectation and it's something that you dread. Um, but there's also a way to really look at it as you prioritizing each other and trying to make that space for each other. So I schedule sex in my marriage and it just, it gives me something to look forward to. I get excited when I know that, that you know, that time is coming. And it, it just feels like this really special little container that we've created for each other that no matter what else is going on, you know, we are setting that time aside for each other to connect.
0: And I think it's really special too. Like if you go back to what it was like in dating or the early years of a relationship, they were, it was always planned. You planned your date, you booked Mm -hmm. it. Now we live together. How can we book our dates? How can we have this time together? And it more, like Shane and I went for dinner last night and I'm not kidding, we left the house at 4. 4.45 and we were home at 6.02 and he's like, literally we were gone for an hour. And I was like, well, that we were done. But this is the thing is like, I love that the idea of, we don't do scheduled sex, but I, I do think that it's going to probably grow in importance, especially when a little one comes into the picture, because I actually love anticipation. When you think back on like how it was when you were getting ready for a date, everything was like, ready. You were, your mindset was there. You'd been thinking about it. You'd been dreaming it through. This is what I'm going to wear. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to surprise him with this. There are so many different ways that we can bring little surprises or just like have that anticipation. Like if I knew that tonight at 8 PM, I'm going to have sex, that's going to be in the back of my head all day. And it is going to tease me all day. And I am so much more likely to actually experience pleasure in that sex from the moment it starts because I've already gotten there all day. Like I'm ready. And I think that is such a it's such a really nice thing to kind of talk about. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is because it is so shamed. Scheduled sex is like this, oh, like, yeah. Like you said, it's kind of like this, oh, you need to schedule it. Like you can't just, you're not spontaneous anymore. You're not this, you could still have sex off schedule. Yeah. But for a lot of people, I think it takes away that like, who's asking who, when's it going to happen, maybe brings that guarantee for those who really love it for stress relief. We we know it for its benefits. So, and I would say the same for like scheduling your self-care time, like your self-love time, your masturbation time, like creating dates for yourself, creating that space to have it. And, and I think that's like a really special way to like honor relationships. So I really love that we touched on that. You can also Play with the way that you schedule it too, like with the initiation piece, like the way
1: my husband and I do it is we take turns initiating. So it's not that we're scheduling it and it's like, okay, it is 8 p.m., better go show up in the bedroom and like we do it. <laughs> it's, you know, we're taking turns. So then it's one person's opportunity to try to seduce, try to make it feel exciting. So there's just so many different ways that you can play around with it. Like what it is oh. that you're scheduling, how you show up, who initiates. It doesn't need to be this like, yeah, cold
0: calculated, like, oh, okay here. Now it's our time. Oh my gosh. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. That's such a good idea. Vanessa, you're like so great about talking about (laughs) this in such a shame-free way. I'm really excited for those to like kind of get to know you, but where can they find you? Where can they go and start exploring everything that they're probably going to have? Like I got to ask all my questions. (laughs) That's not everybody's questions. I want them to be kind of be able to explore these things for themselves as well. Where can they find you?
1: So I'm actually going to set up a little page just for listeners of the podcast. So oh my go gosh. to uh, vmtherapy.com papaya. And we've talked about so many great topics today. And I have a ton of free guides that I'm already thinking about. We're just going to plaster that page with. Um, so one in particular that I'll tease is, you know, we talk so much about female orgasm and about masturbation. And I think one of the challenges that comes up for women is where do we ever get taught how to masturbate, right? So a lot of women are like, I couldn't try it, but I don't know what to do. So I will put um, a guide for exactly how to do it onto that page and a bunch of other stuff related to uh, some of the topics that we talked about. Um, and maybe even a little discount code for uh, for my online oh my courses gosh. If, if people are interested. So yeah, head on over to vmtherapy.com slash hiya and then I'm also most active on Instagram at Vanessa Marin therapy um, I do like daily stories um, my pugs show up over there they' yeah bless. <laughs> pug fans out there um, but I love like answering people's questions over there too so I'd love to connect with any of your amazing
0: community oh my gosh they're gonna be so like I told you before we started on like vaginas sex highest listen to podcasts like hundred percent I'm getting ready to record an episode all on penis is, Cause I'm like, apparently we're just very curious and I'm so stoked. We're going to, it's going to be great, but thank you so, so much. This has been so much fun. And I'm really excited for everyone to kind of dive into their own sex lives, learn about their sex personalities, kind of learn how to, you know, have an orgasm or, you know, make that orgasm and pleasure be priority again in their lives. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a huge fan. It's just been such a big honor to be able
1: to speak with your community. So thank you so much for creating that opportunity.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so glad. All right, y'all. Well, you heard it all there. I'm going to have everything for you in the show notes as well. Yeah, go live your best sex life. Love you. See you next week.